Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. podcast on the athletic network it's monday june 7th i'm j.e skeets back in the classic factory with the homie tass mellis what's up everybody what's up tass you got my top shot hot boy fellow freak trey kirby hey yo hey yo yo. the international man of mystery taking it to the max lee ellis friends and last but not least making the magic happen is jd hello There he is, and here we are. Shout out to the stream team for joining us live right now on YouTube. Smash that like button, leave your comments below the video, and subscribe if you haven't already. And keep sending in your questions and comments for the next Beach Steppin' Podcast. Email them in nodunks at theathletic.com, or you can send them in by way of Twitter at nodunksinc. Okay, action-packed Monday episode here of No Dunks. So much to talk about. So many games. We got another series to preview and predict. We had a bunch of coaching moves happening over the weekend. A few more opening slots are now available. So we'll get into all of it, but we'll start with Game 7, baby. Clippers beat the Mavs 126-111 to to win their series. Take down Luka and the Mavs. They move on. They'll take on the Jazz, and we'll get to that in a second. But Tass, big takeaways from this Game 7. Well, the Clippers are a basketball team. <laughs> they overcame adversity. Is something mm-hmm. Paul George said over and over. He said, this is a different team than last season. This is a different team than last season. We're all waiting for it to be proven to us, right? We never really believed it. They're down 2-0. They won four or five games. And Paul George says they're a different team. They are a team. I mean, the contributions they got from everybody on this squad. They moved Reggie Jackson into the starting lineup. Reggie Jackson is a baller. He's never looked better. Averaging 15 points a game, 39% from three. They got the little spark plug, Terrence Mann, coming off the bench. The first guy off the bench, even though they have veterans. I thought Ty Lue's, uh, you know, his just the, how long he waited to make these changes was too long, but uh-uh, I was proven wrong. Terrence Mann is coming off the bench to be that spark plug, even though they had Beverly in that rotation. Nick Batum was put into the starting lineup to be that defensive presence. He probably goes back to the bench for this next series. They got Marcus Morris chipping in, even Luke Kennard, Kennard of all dog. people. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like we just thought that this team was so discombobulated, so separated. Like they weren't a real team last year. But all those guys I just mentioned were the absolute key to them winning this game in the third quarter, going on that run at home, a 21-2 run late in the third. You needed all those guys to overcome Luka Doncic's 46 frickin' points in this game. He was great, but all those guys I mentioned are, are definitely in the hierarchy behind Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Kawhi, unless they win this series, I don't think we really respect what he's done throughout the seven games, because we've all been talking about Luka, but Mm -hmm. when you step back and look at the numbers now, 32 points a game, 
61% from the floor. He's hitting six of every 10 shots. This is the robot machine that they signed from the Toronto Raptors. Uh, 45% from three in game seven. You have to kind of go through the whole box score to appreciate what Kawhi Leonard did. 28 points, 10 boards, 9 assists, 4 steals. He only took 15 shots to get those 28 points, but he hit 10 of them uh, because he is a robot. And then Paul George is clearly the number two. They, they know who they are. He averaged 23 points, 9 boards, and 6 assists in this series. They've got a squad, and they clearly should feel like they have as good a chance as anyone in the final eight to make the NBA Finals and to win that thing. Because as David Aldridge pointed out, the four teams in the Western Conference – have never won a championship. The four yeah, teams left of the, the Nuggets, the Suns, the Clippers, and the Jazz. And then the four teams in the East, well, they basically haven't won it since the 80s. You know, the Sixers <laughs> won it in the 80s, the Hawks won it in the 50s, the Bucks won it in the 70s, and the Brooklyn Nets franchise has never won it. So this is wide open, baby. The yep. Clippers got to feel great going into round two. Yeah, it felt like they sort of played a near-perfect game seven. Uh, Lily, like when you look at it, they were perfect at the line. I know you like that. 24-24, shot 46% from th- on threes, and they were a great three-point shooting term- team during the regular season. 50% from the floor overall. Only eight turnovers, too. Uh, and like Tass took us through, everybody contributed. Um, I, I don't, I'm like hard pressed to find somebody that sort of didn't really step up and uh, help the, the Clippers win that game seven. And they've got to feel pretty good, you know, escaping, coming back, whatever you want to call it, against Dallas uh, to move on here against the Jazz. Yogi Ferrell did nothing last night, oh, yesterday. Wow, okay. Yogi, Yogi Ferrell, 37 seconds, a big oh. O for everybody else, though. I'm 100% with you. What yeah. about Cousins? Cousins did nothing. Too, <laughs> Jesus, yeah, you guys, guys are ruthless. <laughs> Step it up, Amir Coffee. Let's go back to Friday night game six when Kawhi Leonard was uh, incredible in that game as well. You know, I think that's really, that was obviously the chance the Mavericks had. I thought if it went seven, I thought it's just not going to be a hobo sweep. I think the Clippers had enough. But in that third quarter, the Mavs had that five-point lead and was like, wow, maybe they can do this. Uh, But that's when the the Mavericks basically stopped scoring and the Clippers just went on a roll. Reggie Jackson was great. Marcus Morris was great. uh, And they put the game out of reach. And, you know, last week I did my top five performances in a loss in a playoffs. I think I'm going to have to do it again this week just for Luka Doncic because uh you know when he puts up numbers like that and the team you know loses it must be so frustrating and I think when you look at this series they were down uh, they led 2-0 on the road they were up 3-2 and they don't give anything to show for it he's got to be incredibly frustrated with his teammates because he got bits and pieces performance from a lot of guys but the biggest one and the biggest question going forward for the Mavericks is Porzingis I just mm. uh, he statistically had an okay game yesterday, but this series he was dreadful. Uh, you know he didn't really do enough. He he couldn't score well enough. He couldn't rebound. He wasn't a presence for them. And that if you're Mark Cuban and the Mavericks is like, okay, Porzingis is not really the guy. We can't rely on him. We can't trust him. He's either injured or he just doesn't perform. He didn't step up really at any point in this series to show that he could be a reliable option. Doncic was just incredible, but in the end he just ran out of options. He was doing so much, and the Clippers, you know, Ty Lue certainly leaned into his starters a lot more in this series or his his five players he'd wanted. He would sort of really tighten that bench up. I know Kennard and, and Terrence Mann got minutes yesterday, but that was basically it. He had basically went seven deep, and that's going to be a question for him going forward, like how, how much of a wear and tear is it going to take on your players? But they won the series, and that's what you have to do. You just advance and then figure it all out uh, as you go on. But Kawhi Leonard really did step up and answer some questions because after those first two games, it was like, Maybe this Clippers team is going to be a disaster again and, uh, and, and get swept out of the playoffs. But instead, they responded. And uh, it starts with 
their legit superstar, Kawhi Leonard, who uh, who was brilliant. And then Paul George got it together as well. We're not really talking about Paul George as much this series because he was pretty good, even though he was kind of quiet-ish, you know, but it wasn't, It's it, that's the way Paul George wants to be, not that sort of disaster, uh, you know, pandemic P that he'd been labelled with, certainly down to the bubble and after the first two games of this series. So well done to the Clippers, well done to Ty Lue. They stayed in it uh, and they advance. Yeah, they're only the fifth team in NBA history to lose the first two games at home and come back to win a playoff series. Like, that does not happen all that often. Uh, Ty Lue, it's his uh, fourth Game 7 victory as a coach, too. This guy's money in the clutch, uh, <laughs> coaching him up. But, uh, yeah, I want to get into the Porzingis. I don't know, Ali, if you've had a chance to fire up the trade machine uh, and try and move KP. But, but before we get to that, uh, anything from the actual game of the Clippers moving on in this series, Trey? Well, I just wish Lee or JD was wearing a top hat right now because you really got to tip your cap to the Clippers coming back from down 0-2 and down 3-2. That's impressive, especially considering uh, the way things went for the Clippers last year, blowing a 3-1 lead. It was very funny to see the different reactions on Twitter, you know, after they were down 0-2, like, this Clippers team will never learn. This team is a joke of a franchise. They won their game seven yesterday, and very quickly it turned to maybe overcoming this adversity is what (laughs) it takes for the Clippers to become one of the greatest teams in the NBA. Maybe they're the favorites in the Western Conference. I don't know. Kawhi was awesome in game six and seven, and like you're saying, Lee, we're not talking much about Paul George, but that's just because Kawhi's overshadowing him a little, because Paul George I thought was great in game six and seven at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Yeah. Keeping the Clippers attached, keeping the the scoreboard ticking over. And then when Kawhi comes back, he obviously is the number one there. And he's been putting the team on his back, looking like 1998 Michael Jordan all over again, just throwing guys off him in the lane for his little shots. The two, some of those guys, plus the energy that Terrence Mann brought off the bench, the small lineup that Ty Lue went to, he made a lot of right calls in this one including being right about road court advantage until the very last second when the Clippers outshot the Mavericks 20 to 10 from three point line. Great mind games by Ty Lue convincing the Clippers that they were going to be able to shoot well in the Staples Center, not in game seven. Everything changed. Well, I mean, let's talk about the Mavericks here because I don't think, I don't know how many people realize that they haven't won a playoff series since they won the title back in 2011, which is just, it's, I mean, it's a weird thing to wrap your head around because they've obviously had like pretty good teams still and they're in the playoffs. They just keep coming up short in the first round and, you know, haven't been drastic changes because Rick Carl, of course, is still a coach and Cuban saying, yeah, we're not moving off of him. You know, he's going to be a lifer here as long as he wants in the uh, sort of in the reign of Popovich there. But if you're the Mavs and you are Cuban and the front office tasks, how realistically are you looking at trying to trade Chris Tapps Porzingis? Are you calling everyone you can to see if you can get something else in return? Or are you like, okay, we can, we, th- this guy can get better. He can be the second option. You still believe in him. You, know, you gave up a decent amount to get him. Like, what, do, what do you do? Or do you try and you know, pick up those phones in your workup? You're right, Lee. <laughs> well, Jesus, not, Mike, no, what's going on? <laughs> wedgie shirt on the oh, body God. wedgie in his throat right now i just keep seeing you mute and unmute but every time you actually are unmuted you're coughing are you all right all right anyway uh kp tass what do you do with him well you can you can pray to the basketball gods that there's somebody who would be willing to take him the, the fact is yeah they went away from him as a number two option this series where carla thought that was the best way to try and win luca and everybody else Uh, Luca and basically Tim Hardaway as the number two guy. That has become the Tim Hardaway trade now, getting Kristaps Porzingis and Tim Hardaway from New York. It's not the Kristaps Porzingis trade anymore. What do you do? You go in the offseason, and and, and because he's so untradeable, you you 
basically try and talk to him and say, uh, you are our number two guy, or go through a, basically a physical uh, workout schedule that tries to get him as healthy as possible? Because that's uh, the other big question. Is, yeah. he, is he just fit enough? Is, are his knees fit enough? Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm concerned uh, with Christoph Sporzingis even wanting to be there because after he made up his mind that he didn't want to be a New York Nick anymore, he was done. And I, I'm kind of in that boat right now where if, if there's even part of him that doesn't want to be there, then, yeah, they got to try and move off of him because he's not going to feel like he's the number two guy and he's not going to work as hard as he possibly should off the court because he has to do that physically to be a number two guy. But, yeah, 30-plus each year. For the next three years, that's a lot of bucks. No contract is untradeable. Zero. We just yeah. saw John Wall traded for Paul, uh, Russell Westbrook and, and everyone claiming that John Wall contract was untradeable. But I don't know. Right now, <laughs> as we talk about it, it feels pretty freaking untradeable. But I guess there's I guess there's something out there. I just don't I just don't know if he's going to try and buy into being uh, that number two guy. Right. And uh, there's a there's a chance it could work. Yeah, you want a silver lining. The silver lining is that this is the first time in Porzingis' career that he's ending a season healthy. He has gone out with a season-ending injury in every single one of his six seasons, except for the season that he missed with injury. So, I mean, if you're the Mavericks, yeah, maybe you can find a trade in the offseason. But if not, maybe Porzingis actually gets an offseason to get in the weight room and squat so he can score over a guy that's a foot shorter than him. That would be impressive. Like, if he just gets a nice turnaround jumper that you can punish small lineups, that would be humongous uh, for the Dallas Mavericks. And then he comes back next season, has a good couple of months, and the trade value is a little bit up at the trade deadline. I would say the all th- the other thing uh, that the Mavericks need to go to the next level is Doncic has got to be in better shape, to be quite honest. You see all of these stats. Look at his first quarter scoring, his second quarter scoring, his third quarter scoring, his fourth quarter scoring. Part of that's defense, no doubt about yeah. it. Part of, part of it is him wearing down from carrying the offense the whole time. But look at what Jokic did. This is the exact same conversation we had with Jokic. Is he in good shape? Is he in the best shape he could be? He was not until this season. Now he's an MVP. Mm-hmm. He's done it from November until June at this point. Doncic has got to do the same thing. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. You, you would think that, it, by all accounts, they're going to try and bring back Tim Hardaway Jr. Lee. And, and like Tess said, why wouldn't you? He was the best player in that trade uh, with the Knicks. He's been better than Porzingis, especially when you're, of course, looking at the dollar value that he's given you. But he's going to you know, warrant a pretty pretty good pay increase, and rightfully so. Um, Josh Richardson did not work out. Mm-hmm. That one was, uh, you know, I was high on that. I was mm-hmm. loving that deal. It made so much sense. You know, a defensive-minded guy put by Luka can still hit the three. He was horrible. I mean, he barely wasn't even playing at this point in this series. He was DMP. Um, so he, I don't know if he's still there. And he's. Going, I mean, I think he's got an option for uh, that he'll likely pick up. It's not huge because he's on a decent deal, but he's got to be better. But, I mean, you're trying to trade KP, and I think there would be teams that could talk themselves into Porzingis, for sure. He's only 26. He's not even 26. He's turning 26 this summer. Um, so he's still fairly young. Yeah, Maybe, they, maybe they want Lowry Markkinen, the next Kristaps <laughs> Porzingis. Well, what about the Pacers? Could the Pacers... Could there be something, and you're really switching it up with what you're doing for a big for a big, but a Miles Turner type of deal? Could he come to Dallas? Would that work better, uh, you know, having a defensive-minded guy instead of what KP was giving them? Is there something around, you know, Turner and a lamb and maybe some picks um, for a KP? There's also people saying, well, what about the Blazers? You know, we talk about them. They got to blow it up and trade off somebody. Is there a way you get Porzingis to the Blazers, Lee? I mean, you're look. Well, it's got to be like nuts. a sign and trade with Norman Powell. I mean, is McCollum involved? Like, it's all these things, and yeah. I don't really love it from the Mavericks side of things. But anyway, have you fired up the trade yeah. machine? 
because you've talked a lot about KP and you're not a fan of this. No, I, I've really gone off him because uh, I just feel in a situation in a series like this, it was an opportunity for him to at least sort of put his stamp on the game. He gets into that high post and, and as Trey's mentioned there, guys can't block that shot. So shoot it. You know, but Boban outplayed him in the last couple of games in this series. And and Boban at least made himself a presence there. And that's uh, that's really a bad indictment on uh, Chris Tapp's Porzingis because, okay, rebound the ball. He averaged five rebounds a game for this series. Put yourself somewhere in a position where you are actually impacting the game. If your shot's not there, fine. That doesn't always drop. But just be there. Contest shots. They don't really have a big presence at all, the Clippers. Go in there and make sure you're getting putbacks. Make sure you're setting screens. Make sure you're just doing something to impact the game. And I just didn't think he was anywhere near aggressive enough. And that's the concern. I've seen Mark Cuban on uh, Shark Tank. When he gets angry, he's out of a deal straight away. I bet you right now if he could, he would say, Porzingis, I'm out. You're out of here. And he would just take his chances. Look, the Mavericks are incredibly lucky because Luke... Luka Doncic has one year left on his rookie deal. Now they can sign him to that super ma- or the you know rookie max extension, which of yeah. course they're going to without even thinking about it. But that doesn't kick in until the following season, so they do get lucky in that they can sign Tim Hardaway. I think uh, next season to a pretty juicy contract, and it won't cost them too much. And the guy you mentioned as well, Josh Richardson. Yeah, it's eleven and a half million player option. Yeah, I think he's picking that up. Josh Richardson. He's picking that up. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's a huge market for him. He hasn't been all that consistent there. So the Mavericks get lucky in that sense that they can probably keep him but yeah Porzingis three years and 100 million true there's no untradeable contract but I don't think any teams right now are going to give up a ton to get him they'll take a flyer on him if, if the Mavericks are prepared to sell low right. on him but I don't think uh, I don't think any team's going to give up a ton for him because he just hasn't shown that he's really able to take that next step up I mean he had a bad bad series and there's really no excuse last year in those three games before he got injured he was actually playing okay down in the bubble this year he got a full series really did get uh, the, the opportunity to show what he could do in those losses he was bad in the wins not much better and that really just shows that he, he, he it's not like at any point it's like well he had that 35 point game that's what they need to see from more of him he was just ordinary the whole series and I think that's uh, bad for him and bad for the Mavericks and yes the Mavericks will be looking to deal him I think understanding they're probably getting back pennies on the dollar for him in terms of what you know you expect from a guy like that and what we saw in New York but at this point you can't go forward with him and uh, Doncic it's just not going to work Wow, this guy's giving up on Well, that. I do. I do. I'm kind of with you, Lee. I'm kind of with I'm you, especially fair. with yeah. the way that we've seen things go down with the Trailblazers, where they just kept rolling out the same team year after year after year. They had the great run uh, to the Western Conference Finals, but it's like you're rolling a team out there that you know is going to be bad at defense. You can't do that in the Western Conference, so why would you waste the majority of Doncic's prime when you yeah. can hopefully make a move here? You don't want to be in the Blazers situation where you're like, how do we improve this team so that our star actually wants to stick around? Because that's where the Blazers are at right now. And if you keep your superstar anchored to a not quite good enough second star, it's easy for Dallas to end up there as well. Well, let's uh, pivot here to the to the series that we now have. The final one that's locked in to us. It's uh, the Jazz and the Clippers. Um, they get started very soon, right? Is it Tuesday night? It's, uh, it's just a, mm-hmm. one game off for the Clippers uh, mm-hmm. as they go right into the series in Utah. Um, which, which could be difficult. Maybe that'll have an impact on game one. We'll see this tight turnaround and playing in an altitude there. But let's get to the keys to the series. 1-4 matchup. It's chalk out west, just like everybody expected. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, what's your key to the series, Tass? Get us started. Jazz Clips. Yeah, quite the series. Uh, Clippers, Jazz. I'm really looking forward to Rudy Gobert's impact on the series on both ends because Kawhi, he's struggled against the Utah Jazz since he's become a Los Angeles Clipper. The last two seasons, his worst numbers 
are against the Utah Jazz. And Rudy Gobert, obviously a big, big part of that. John Schumann with great stats on NBA.com, revealing how Kawhi struggling everywhere where he likes to shoot uh, against the Jazz these last two seasons. So Rudy has got to be very, very big. Although the Clippers, coming off seven games, uh, and most recently last couple of games against Boban Marjanovic. So they understand that maybe they can't go into the rim. Again. And so like if Rudy Gobert is going to be around there, they, they weren't really going at Boban. The, the Mavs were happy to play zone. So maybe maybe this these last few games have given them a little bit of a template to stay away from Rudy. And then Rudy on the other end, uh, he, I mean, he's that's that's their advantage right there. Gobert's got to stay on the floor to me uh, for his offensive gravity because that's how the Utah's three-point shooters are going to get hot uh, if Gobert's in there doing his dunking. Uh, but if, <laughs> if he gets off the floor, uh, he's probably going to be, you know, um, matched up with Ivica Zubac probably back in the starting line. If he's back uh, uh, or if he goes off the floor, I think the Clippers, uh, they just played against uh, Luka Doncic and a bunch of three-point shooters. I think they'll be ready to get out there and, and guard those guys. But if Rudy pulls him away a little bit, uh, that'll be important. I think Serge Ibaka could play a factor in this series if he is healthy uh, to bring Rudy away from the hoop a little bit, neutralize him. And if Serge isn't healthy, I do think we're going to see some DeMarcus Cousins out there in backup minutes uh, to bang, uh, you know, whether it's Rudy Gobert or uh, Derek Favors. So uh, Kawhi, clearly the best player in that first round series. He overcame he overcame Luka uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in a way, contributing like everywhere on the floor. Uh, and now he's... He, I think, you know, you can debate that, whether he was the best player against Luka, but now uh, he is the best player on the floor over over Donovan Mitchell. So it's going to have to be guys from everywhere for the Jazz, and it starts, I think, with Rudy as their sort of their second-best guy to to make things go a little bit, to, to try and overcome that deficiency they have, that deficit they have with the, the best player on the floor, because Kawhi's a robot, but uh, will he still continue to be a robot against Rudy? Yeah, I'm fascinated to see what Lou does here, Trey, because some people are like, this is a nice little trial run against the Mavs here uh, with now your next series against Gobert and how they did it. And like, look, Kawhi operates in the mid-range and they obviously like to let it fly from three. They're one of the best three-point shooting teams uh, we've seen in a long time. So yeah, maybe their spots will be there and they got some experience there and they leaned into going small. Will they do that from game one, right from the jump? Will the Clippers just continue to play, you know, quote unquote small here and uh, try and play Gobert off the floor? Will that work? Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see if Gobert is able to stick on the court. Obviously, Gobert is a lot better than Boban is as a player on both ends of the court. But Boban had an impact, I thought, for the Mavericks, just being the hugest guy out there where, you know, he can get the ball and basically the other guys can't reach it at that point. So, yeah, I mean, if uh, if Gobert is able to stay on the floor, I think it's reasonable to expect like an 18 and 15 kind of season from or a series from Gobert if he's just rolling to the rim hitting the glass putting back the putbacks and if that's the case then the Clippers are going to be in trouble because it would be very easy for the Clippers to turn into a jump shooting team uh, against the Jazz and maybe that works out for the Clippers you know they shot 41% from three during the regular season the Jazz obviously a great three-point shooting team as well, but there were times I thought in the Mavericks series where having Porzingis out there, having Boban out there, it just kind of took a little aggression away from the Clippers. And if just having Gobert out there is going to have that sort of influence, that would be humongous for the Jazz. Yeah, and Gobert is the backbone of the Jazz defense, but a lot of attention in this series, Lee, is going to go to Royce O'Neal, probably Joe Ingles at times, maybe on matchups with Paul George, like guys like that. Like, 
can these guys contain the stars on the Clippers and at least try and keep them in check? And then, yeah, I mean, it's all it's a, it's a it's a team defense. Don't get me wrong, and especially with Gobert and what he does and funneling guys to him, but. Royce O'Neal especially has mm-hmm. to have like a, the series of his life here, I think. Uh, and uh, you know, maybe you will start hearing the casual fan will start learning his name a little bit because he is a great defender. But my God, the way Kawhi's locked in right now, good luck with that. Yeah, I mean, no one's going to stop Kawhi. The, the Clippers have the best player in this series, Kawhi Leonard. He he showed that in that last series. Uh, but the Jazz do defend players and teams pretty well. They've done that all season. They're a deep team and they get out and stop that three pointer. Uh, so that is going to be tough. I don't have any concerns that Gobert is going to be played off the floor. I think he's just too dominant. And I think if you're the Jazz. You try to make him impactful on both ends and make the Clippers work because they don't really have a big who can stop him. I mean, Zubats is not going to be able to do it, I don't think. So I think jazz, uh, the Jazz have the, a big advantage there in the middle. And Gobert, we know, like if they pull him out, that's okay because it's not like they've got terrible de- perimeter defenders. You know that, and the Jazz, you know, uh, the, excuse me, the uh, Clippers against the Mavericks, they could go inside and penetrate and score because there wasn't that great interior defense. That's not going to be the case here for the Jazz, and they're at home. They're fresh. They're rested. The only real concern is Mike uh, Mike Conley's hamstring. Mm-hmm. You know, he left the last game of the Grizzlies series with a tweak. They said it was the same hamstring. But the fact that this series went seven gave him a couple of extra days there to rest. So I think that's uh, interesting. I don't think they've sort of said whether or not he is playing in game one. But uh, if you're the Jazz and you're at full strength, I think their defense is going to be uh, very, very tough for the Clippers. Of course, the Clippers do have good offensive talent. So it's going to be uh, a bit of an arm wrestle in that sense like that. But uh, I, uh, I think this is really shaping up to be a fascinating series because the Clippers have uh, come off a tough, tough series where Ty Lue really did shorten that rotation. They got through. Now, will that be a factor? Does that come into play a bit? Does Ty Lue have to deep, dig into his bench a little bit here more and trust some of those guys? Patrick Beverly's basically been played out of the rotation and uh, they need, they're going to need someone like him to at least come in and give them some decent minutes in this series because the one of the biggest strengths the Jazz has, they play nine players and they pretty much everyone out there can do the same job. I mean, obviously Gobert and Favors don't shoot the threes and Jordan Clarkson's not a great defender, but he gives them a lot on the offensive end. So there's just so much of that uh, interchanging uh, uh, roles there for the Jazz that works, I think, to their advantage in this series. So you need the Clippers uh, bench to show up again here in a couple of these games for yeah, you to I like mean, their chances. Like Luke Kennard was, was great yesterday and Terrence Mann was great for them, but that was all Ty Lue really trusted from his bench. Rondo kind of got played out of this series a little bit and he was brought in to give that bench unit some uh, some boost. And so I, I expect he's going to get some more minutes certainly early in this series uh, simply because, as I, as I said before, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard played 40 minutes in every game in that last series except for the blowout, which was game four when they won by 35 or something like That's that. That's what your superstars should do, though. No, no. No, that's 100%. Somebody should send that to Budenholzer and say that's what you actually yeah. supposed oh to do. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. let's uh, yeah, we'll save get that, that one. But no, that's right. In, in the playoffs, your starters and your yeah. stars should play heavy minutes. No question about it. But there's also, after a, a tough seven-game series, now you're going up against the best team yeah. from the regular season. At some point, you think that has to be uh, a factor in the series, you know, if it goes long. But I guess if it goes long, that's good for the Clippers as well. But um, who is that one that Ty Lue can trust to come out and play some steady minutes. Luke Kennard didn't... I don't think he saw many minutes in the first two or three games of this series, but in the end, he came out and played well in Game 7, so that's great for him. Mm. All right, Trey, what's your uh, key to this series? My key is Boyan Bogdanovich. The biggest difference between the Jazz this season in the playoffs and the Jazz last year in the playoffs, Boyan, 17 points per game, two assists, four rebounds, good percentages, good secondary scorer, a solid shooter, sturdy defender, but I feel like a lot of the rep for him as a defender comes from his tenure in Indiana guarding LeBron James and being, 
you know, sizable enough, quick enough on his feet, and strong enough to take some bumps down in the post. They're playing a different LA team, though. Far more perimeter-oriented. His matchups, I think, Boyan, will probably be Nick Batum for a lot of it, probably Morris, and if that's the case, if that's who Bogdanovich is matched up with, he's got to win that one. Royce O'Neal, Mike Conley are probably going to get the Kawhi and PG uh, tasks, but they're going to have problems with the size. I think Boyan will get a turn on Kawhi, and that could be a big ask, especially since you want him to give it to you defensively as well. Bogdanovich, a swing factor to me. When he has a favorable matchup, he's got to win it. Like, that's got to be a lockdown. The Jazz are winning this with the 3-4 here, and when he's playing up against Kawhi or maybe Paul George, He's got to do a little bit to cancel those guys out because the Clippers are going to have an advantage on the wing. There's no doubt about it with Kawhi and Paul George. So Bogdanovich, him being healthy this year, Joe Ingles as well. They just got to step up. They got to hit their three pointers to kind of cancel out what the Clippers are going to do. And they just got to make it tough. They got to funnel those guys into Gobert. They got to contest the mid-range jumpers. Boyan's got to bring it for this entire series. We heard last year things would be different if Boyan Bogdanovich was healthy. He's healthy this year. Let's see it. Yeah, after the uh, Clippers won Game 7, moved on tasks, I threw the tweet out there, Clippers Jazz, like, who you guys got? And man, the responses to this, it felt like it was 50-50. Jazz, people going, yep, Jazz in 5, 6, or 7, and then Clippers like, nope, Clippers have figured out, they're going small, they're going to like, you know, they got Kawhi playing at this level, Terminator Kawhi, whatever you want to call him, Clippers going to move on in 5, 6, or 7. And I think this is a, like, uh, what's going on here is like, you took us through all these teams that haven't won a title, it does feel like any of these squads, and especially these matchups in the West, can move on, so let's get to our predictions. Are you going Jazz or Clippers, and in how many games in this one? Well, yeah, just looking at it, I think people are looking at it and thinking, well, it's sort of the classic team that does it by committee versus the team with the superstar and now Kawhi Leonard. But I think we are all sort of underestimating Donovan Mitchell's impact in the four games that he came back. He looked really, really good uh, against the Memphis Grizzlies. Everybody wants to compare this team to the Hawks of the 14-15, that 60-win team, Atlanta Hawks team, but Donovan Mitchell takes them up a notch. At the same time, uh, the Clippers definitely have the better superstar, so the the Jazz will have to do it by committee. I definitely worry about Conley's hamstring, especially if he's the one tasked with guarding Kawhi Leonard, you, you look at the perimeter guys on the Jazz. It's just going to be—it's going to be difficult uh, to to come up. Yeah, after Royce O'Neal, uh, those you know matching up with Kawhi and Paul George, it's going to be tough. So Rudy mm-hmm. Gobert is, is going to have to play uh, a monstrous, monstrous series. I kind of like the fact that the Clippers played seven games, and yes, they played a, a lot of minutes, uh, but they had to go through some adversity. Jazz haven't necessarily had to do that other than off the court with uh, <laughs> training debacles uh, with uh, Donovan Mitchell. They had to, uh, The Clippers had to go small. They had to go big. They, they, they understand what they are a little bit more. Uh, so that kind of just leans me towards uh, the clip, and uh, I, I think the, the superstars are... It's, are, are going to play a big factor. I think Kawhi is going to play just just a huge factor in this series, and that they have more at the top. I was, you know, riding high with the Jazz after watching them uh, beat the Grizzlies, but then, yeah, the Clippers are are playing their best ball since Kawhi's got there. Kawhi making, you know, making it known that he's one of the top few players in the league right now. Uh, so uh, I'm taking the Clippers in six, although. Yeah, I'd say, you know, before game six and game seven of that Clippers Jazz series or Clippers Mavericks series was not feeling the Clippers, but I'm feeling right. I'm feeling better picking them right now, but can't wait to watch. Trey, let's go to you next. Who you got in this? I'm going to go with the Jazz in this one. Give me the Jazz in seven. I think that they can shoot with the Clippers. They're both great three point shooting teams, so that likely cancels each other out over the course of the season. 
but the Jazz have more inside. I think uh, Donovan Mitchell does a better job of getting specifically to the rim than some of the Clippers uh, superstars do. Obviously, Kawhi was incredible in Game 7, had a couple of sick dunks. Uh, The one down the lane, the one-hander was nice. The two-hander was nice. Take your pick if you want on the left side of the floor or the right side of the floor. But between Mitchell and Gobert, the Jazz can put a ton of pressure on the rim. Obviously, they're going to play defense. They've got a great interior defense as well. I'm going with the Jazz. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see the Jazz playing much zone defense here like the Mavericks had to resort to there. Uh, Okay, you're going with the Jazz in seven. Lee, what about you? I too am going with the Jazz, but I'm going in six. Uh, I like the fact that they are rested. Uh, And, and, you know, Skeetsy, you talk about how going through a tough series is good, and I agree with you on that. Uh, But I just wonder if it just took a little bit uh, too much for Toll, and I just don't trust that depth from the Clippers. So I think, again, if you have to have uh, your stars playing, you know, 44, 45 minutes a night, that, you know, they can do it because, you know, this is what Kawhi does. This is why he manages his load all season long, so he's ready to go in the playoffs. Uh, but against a team that's just so well coached, I think they've got that great uh, bench depth themselves. Now, uh, on that bench, Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles, two players who have been very good, didn't have a great series against the Grizzlies. They sort of struggled. But if they can get it going again together, uh, I think that's just going to put a lot of pressure on, on on the Clippers' defense. So I think Rudy Gobert's in for a big series too, myself. I think uh, at both ends of the floor, he can be impactful because he doesn't, you know, Zubats is not scaring anybody. Uh, and then on the other end, he's just too long and too strong. If they run a lot of that pick-and-roll stuff, especially with Jingles, he can get to the paint and he can score easily on that. So uh, I like the Jazz. They're rested. They're at home. They've had a lot of time to plan and prepare. Yes, Conley is certainly a concern. Whether or not he even goes in the first game, we'll find out. But uh, I think the Jazz, after that uh, bad start to the series against the Grizzlies, got things together. Mitchell's back looking great. Uh, I think they've got too much. I've got the Jazz in six. This is tough. This is the classic... Ooh, Lee Ellis. Yeah, yikes. I, I'm torn, guys. I, I really don't know where to go. I am like one. I just keep my mind flashes forward to like fourth quarter situations in close games because these teams are like pretty even, I think. And it's like we saw it with Kawhi. Like we're talking about what Kawhi's doing offensively, but like there were times where he was put on Luka and like, all right, we need to stop here or mm-hmm. get it out of his hands. Don't let him beat us. And he did it. He did it a couple times. Hey, Luka was amazing. He hit some crazy shots on, on Kawhi even still, but... I just see that happening potentially in this series if Mitchell has it going through a couple of quarters that, all right, Kawhi, go shut Donovan Mitchell down. And it's like, ooh, now who are the Jazz like going to really go to and help him out? And uh, that's where I, uh, I it, it gets me leaning towards the Clippers in this series. So, Tass, you went Clips in seven, right? I think I'm with you. I, I went six. I went sorry, six sorry, sorry. You went six. That's what I meant. I'm going to yeah, go six yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah. I'll go Clippers in six. So we're torn on this. We got two guys going Jazz, two guys going Clippers. It was just like my tweets coming back at me, Tess. It was perfect. Yeah. Yeah, but I I do see that Kawhi, like, you know, at times when needed, he's going to be able to slow down Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, but Uh see, I I counter that with the way the Jazz move the ball around and anyone on the perimeter there can can knock down that three. That's what gives me confidence that Mitchell doesn't have to be the guy who's like Luca, where it's like, you know, like Luca, what did he have? He he scored or assisted on 77 points, I think it was, uh, yesterday. Uh, that that's just not the case with the Jazz. It's like you want to defend me, fine. I'll just put, move it around and we'll get an open look. That that's what I. Yeah, but I'll push back on that because many times, even in this last series, we saw the Jazz in a close game. You know, they're playing Jazz basketball, but it gets into fourth quarter, and it's like we need our superstar to get to the line, create something, and it's like you know the ball movement starts to go away a little bit. It's just what happens, and you need your star players to make the big plays. So. 
We saw that. And Donovan Mitchell did it time mm-hmm. and time again in, in that series. He was awesome in fourth quarters a lot of the time. Count I just think it's going to be a little different with Kawhi on him. What's that? <laughs> a counterpoint to a counterpoint. Counter- exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, look, we're hoping for a great series, and we think it's going to go at least six or seven. And uh, you tell us who you got winning guys in the stream team there and in the comments below. That one gets started on Tuesday night. Uh, we do have two games tonight. We'll get to those in a second. We'll get to the games yesterday and from the weekend in the Eastern Conference. But first, a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Been doing a bunch of retirement planning stuff lately. So I've had documents flying in and out the mailbox. A lot of signatures, both analog and digital. A lot of phone calls, a lot of stamps. Got to get my long-term future straight. Yeah. Let me tell you, Skeets, the things we build our future around are the things worth protecting. Making an estate plan now means gaining security of your assets and peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Watch your assets. With Trust and Will, you can create and manage a custom estate plan starting at just $199. Go to trustandwill.com slash nodunks for 10% off plus free document shipping. Trust and Will's website is simple to use and the process is straightforward. In no time, you'll have peace of mind that your assets and wishes are secure with easy access and control of your estate planning. Each will or trust is state-specific and customized to your needs, whether it be care wishes, nomination guardians, final arrangements, or power of attorney. It's easy to ensure your family and loved ones avoid lengthy, expensive legal proceedings or the state deciding what happens to your assets. Secure your assets and protect your loved ones with trust and will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash nodunks. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash nodunks. Selling a little? Yeah. Cha-ching. Or a lot? (laughs) Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling savory sausages or offering ostentatious oddities, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. No matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash nodunks, all lowercase. 
Go to Shopify.com slash no dunks now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash no dunks. All right, back to the game recaps from the weekend. And we will go to game one, Eastern Conference semifinals between the Hawks and the Sixers. Trey Young scores 35 as the Hawks top the Sixers 128-124. Got pretty close there in the end. In game one, Embiid did play. Put up a great stat line, but uh, too much Hawks there in game one, Lily. What's the big takeaway? I wonder if Doc Rivers even watched the Knicks Hawks series because uh, <laughs> honestly, the Hawks just picked up where they left off. Trey Young ran right in the first half, 25.7 assists, and the Hawks are up by 20. And Trey was being guarded mainly by Danny Green in that first half, and there was no pressure on him at all. And on the other end, Trey Young didn't have any work to do defensively. But on the offensive end, he just walked past Danny Green time and time again. And whether it was a floater, whether it was hitting a three or passing to his teammates, he just did it unmolested so many times. Um, and it seemed like a sort of blowout was on the cards there at halftime because they mm-hmm. uh, they were so impressive. Now, the start of the second half, Ben Simmons got a go on, uh, on Trey Young. And they did start trapping him a little bit. But I mentioned this in the last series, and I really noticed this down at the Fortress uh, more so than I had before. Trey is really good at keeping his dribble. You know, the trap came. He kind of knew it was coming. And he stayed with the ball a lot. He didn't sort of lose possession. You know, they put him under uh, a lot more pressure there. Uh, But then Ben Simmons picked up a couple of fouls and Doc went back to Danny Green. Matisse Tybal came on late in the third. And finally, and Hubie Brown brought this up on the broadcast yesterday, Trey Young had a shot late in the shot clock. It was a deep three and it it missed badly. And Hubie said that's the first time he felt Trey would have been rushed into a shot uh, Mm -hmm. for the whole game. And I thought the same thing. I thought Matisse Tybal just had way more energy. He's got those long arms. He's a very good defender. He moves his feet well. And even Tyrese Maxey just can move quicker, can sort of stay there with Trey Young. But anyway, get to the fourth quarter. Hawks up 17 with just over four minutes to go. And it looked like, okay, this one is over. Then the Hawks went on a wild, <laughs> wild run. The, uh, they got a turnover that turned into an easy two-pointer. And then the Hawks, because they ran out of timeouts, uh, had a five-second violation. Got it down to within three points with 30 seconds to go. And you just sort of felt the Sixers might steal it because the Hawks did become a little bit rattled there. But then uh, John Collins got a breakaway, uh, knocked in a couple of free throws. uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich before that hit a huge three as well. Did the uh, Trey Young celebration to the crowd, the shh celebration. And he got it right too. He had it over his lips, not over his sort of (laughs) nose and forehead there. They're learning. Um, But a super impressive performance all around, I think, by the Atlanta Hawks because DeAndre Hunter didn't play Solomon Hill. Got the start in this game. He hit a couple <laughs> it was of great. pointers. He was he, he look. He was Solid. okay. He hit uh, Solid those man hill. Uh, listen, shoot three pointers with the confidence of Solomon Hill because uh, he jacked up. <laughs> he went two for seven. Not bad. But I thought I thought a couple other pointers. I thought uh, Bogdanovich was very good. I thought John Collins was also quietly quite good in this game. Kevin Huerta continues to give them really good minutes off the bench. Uh, hit some big shots for them as well. And I thought, look, Joel Embiid finished with 39 points, which is, you know, big line. I thought Capella did a decent job on him. I didn't think um, it was one of those 39-point games where it's like Embiid was just bullying them underneath. I thought he had to work pretty hard uh, to get his points. And for a guy who looked like he sort of tweaked that knee a little bit there for a time, um, but he was good. Uh, For the most part, Joel Embiid was good, but I thought Capella, who also had foul trouble, did a decent job, as decent as you can expect on there. Just sort of not uh, not making it easy for, for Embiid. Um, so overall, very impressed by the way the Hawks pulled this one out. But really surprised by that first half from Doc Rivers. Why he just uh, And then in the fourth quarter, he went back to Danny Green on Trey Young. I just don't think that's the matchup. I think it's got to be Thibel going forward. So uh, well done to the Hawks. Uh, great start to the series. And turned into a really good game. 
Yeah. I got to dispute the the Bogdan Bogdanovich with the good shush to the crowd. <laughs> if you look at the Hawks Instagram account, he put it up over his mouth, but then he went to the side. It's like on his cheek. <laughs> it like drifted. It's a drifter. It's I thought it was really, a shout really... out to Santa Claus laying his finger aside of his nose. <laughs> well, I, was, I thought it was better anyway than Trey's like, you know, yeah. sort of above, you know, I don't know what that is. But, uh, but that big three, that was a huge three. That pretty much oh, yeah. put him up six and... Uh, Basically, that was alley oop. Yeah, that was huge. Yeah. That was a yeah. wicked dunk from yeah. Collins uh, off the pass from Trey. Yeah, I don't know who's feeling better after this game one, Tass. Is it the Hawks because they were dominant there in, in the first quarter, first half? I mean, put up 70 points, but then nearly gave the game away, but they got the win, so they're happy. Uh, or is it the Sixers who like did not play well, of course, in the first half? They have moves to make, which is definitely start by not putting Danny Green on Trey Young. Uh, Embiid did play, he looked great. Um, I mean, like, are they like sort of feeling good? Like, oh, okay, we lost, but uh, you know, we we can get the best of the Hawks in this series once we uh, switch things up and we got a healthy Embiid. I don't know. I can't decide really. Yeah, I would take the Hawks for two okay. reasons. I don't think Joel Embiid could look any better than that, and he was you know limping around a little bit at times on defensive end. He's struggling. I don't think he's going to get any healthier as the okay. series goes on. And, and the second thing is, the Sixers for some reason made that move when they are the favorite, and that move I mean they put. Danny Green on Trey Young to start the game, it makes no sense. So I think the Hawks are kind of winning the mental game. They, they for some reason, the, the, the Sixers are acting like the underdog. They are the favorite. I have no idea why they would take the guy that has been labeled as a defensive player of the year in Ben Simmons off of Trey Young to start the game. It makes no sense that you're making this adjustment before the season. You're the number one seed. Come in and act that way. And I, and I think that, that shows the guys in the locker room that, you know, maybe we don't have a game plan against Trey Young. It was just it was a bad move, I think, to start. And it just exudes a little bit of weakness. And, and that uh, obviously the Hawks got feeling great. It does. It just it doesn't make any sense to me. If you're the Milwaukee Bucks as an underdog to the Brooklyn Nets, you make that move of putting P.J. Tucker in the starting lineup. That makes sense. You're the underdog. We'll get to that in a sec. But uh, to me, that Doc Rivers thing was. Uh, it's it's inexplicable, and uh, it obviously didn't work. And Danny just doesn't have the foot speed to to hang with Trey Young. And yeah, you're just you're just saying this this identity that we've had all year to get this this number one seed. We're gonna go away from it when the series is tied zero zero. We've got home court. Uh, it, it it's I don't know. It's uh, it was a mistake I think by Doc to to start the series like that. And not only does it put uh, you know a, a lot of pressure on Danny Green to chase uh, you know to Trey Young around, but it also puts a lot of pressure on Joel Embiid and those knees that are definitely not a hundred percent. He gets by uh, Trey gets by Danny Green and Joel Embiid is usually the guy in that action with the pick and roll coming mm-hmm. from Clint Capella, so he's got to dance even more. But if Ben Simmons is covering like he started to do in the third quarter when they went to that coverage. I think that saves Joel Embiid's knees a little bit. So you could see why the Hawks were 13 of 23 in the first half on three balls because Trey was dancing and finding guys. And that that number against the Sixers defense that is supposed to be their forte, they went away from, and that hurt them big time. So I think the Hawks... They gotta feel. Good. I mean, they obviously they can lose game two and still feel good going oh, back sure. to Atlanta, one-one. Yeah, it was an unbelievable first half. I mean, it was like in the first quarter, it was like I don't think you can play a better first quarter if I'm being honest. From the Hawks, the way they were uh, moving that ball around, the way Trey Young was just dissecting them, and yeah, it was they were helped by Danny Green trying to guard them. That's not gonna work. But Ben Simmons' trade did 
get that assignment early in the third quarter and picked up two fouls like instantaneously. You know, I thought one of them was pretty like, what? Didn't Trey Young actually create that contact, but got away with it, did a little Heisman on him, and uh, he actually got the whistle on Ben Simmons. And maybe that's the issue that Doc's like, well, I mean, we put Ben Simmons on him. Yeah, he's our lockdown guy, but he could get in foul trouble in a hurry like he even did there in the second half. But by all accounts, like, you know, reading into it in the postgame, Simmons is like, I'm going to be guarding him. Like, and he should. <laughs> yep. he should. He should want him. He should take him. Uh, it should be a one-on-one matchup. They shouldn't yeah. be trapping Trey Young because then the Hawks are too good at passing the ball and finding open shooters, and that's how you get Bogdan Bogdanovich hitting a huge three and laying his finger aside of his nose. Uh, yeah. they, it's got to be on Simmons. He's got to take the Trey Young matchup uh, personally, and he's got to dominate that matchup because I think uh, the stream team is right. You're right, Skeets, that Doc's a little worried about Ben Simmons uh, picking up fouls against Trey Young. He's been great against that. Clearly, if uh, Simmons is on Trey and Capella or Embiid's guarding Capella, they're going to go to that pick and roll quite a bit to try yep. and get Embiid moving, to try and get him in foul trouble, to try and put the pressure on Ben Simmons. But Simmons is big enough, quick enough, and long enough that he can still bother Trey Young in a one-on-one matchup. The trap, though, is just not going to work, and Danny Green is not going to work. I guess he got a half to see if he would give any sort of resistance to Trey Young. Same with Seth Curry, but... It's got to basically be Simmons, and then when Simmons is off the court, it's got to be Tybal. I'm with you, Lee. I thought he did the best job. That one possession where it just looked like he actually sped Trey Young mm-hmm. up. It was like the first time Trey Young felt hurried at mm-hmm. all in the playoffs. I don't know. I think the Sixers just were a little bit caught off guard here. They played a basically nothing series in the first round against the Wizards. The Hawks came out, had a great series against New York. They're rolling, came in, smashed the Sixers in the face. It rolled over into the second quarter. But if you look at the total score from quarters two, three, four, the Sixers are on top there. You just throw yeah. out that first quarter, play a little harder, play some playoff intensity to start game two. You can get uh, a split here. But, yeah, I'm with Tass as well. The Hawks are feeling good. They got their one on the road already. Yeah, that trap, uh, if you saw the ESPN stats and info in the second half, they threw multiple defenders 15 times at Trey Young in the second half. He only attempted one field goal in those 15 instances. Makes sense. He's got a bunch of bodies on him. But the Hawks went 7 for 11 overall from the field uh, for 19 points. Because, yeah, he's a great passer, and the Hawks have a bunch of shooters. Someone's going to be open. And these guys are contributing. You're right, Lee. I mean, I think Herter's been phenomenal for them. I, mm-hmm. Even defensively, he's like really right, getting yeah. into it on that end. And then, you know, of course, Bogdanovich is, is key. Um, so great win from the Hawks here. It's going to be, I think, a very, very fun series. Uh, but we'll see what goes on. And look, I thought the Sixers were going to come out with a bang tray after we saw uh, Triple H ringing the bell there with the sledgehammer. Not me. Uh, Triple H is the most overrated superstar <laughs> of our generation. John Schumann nailed it. Triple H's entrances are oh. always better than his matches. Triple H (laughs) loves to put other guys over. As one of the executives in the company, it looks good for a superstar like Triple H to lose. Why would you bring him out in game one to put the Hawks over? Major L from the Sixers. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Thrust the process. Not a fan of it. Uh, Nice shirts, though, they had there. Apparently, you can't buy them, though, so don't get too excited. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, Embiid was a monster, uh, and we should see Simmons or Thibel, somebody else besides Danny Green on Trey Young. And I can't wait to see what the Hawks do to uh, try and figure that out and if those other guys can uh, help out and get them another victory. Like, the Hawks are just... They're just, it just, it did roll over so smoothly, Lee, from the Knicks series. You're right. I mean, it was just like they were playing another game against the Knicks, it felt mm-hmm. like, a little bit there in that first half, especially, because they're just, they're feeling good about themselves, this Hawks team. They got they yeah. got their star, everybody's contributing, and uh, they're playing with house money, as I said, heading into the series. Like, nobody's really picking them, just like a lot of people weren't picking them to beat the Knicks. Mm-hmm. 
And the thing I like about Trey as well, if they do, let's say it is Ben Simmons on him, they'll get a high pick for him to try to get him into the paint and draw and <laughs> beat away from a Capella, and he'll be happy to throw that lob, or they'll just put yep. John Collins sort of basically in that high post area, bounce it to him, and then somehow try to move and beat away from protecting either the paint or protecting Capella, and then John Collins can go in. And he, he's really picked it up after struggling uh, in the early games of that Knicks series as well, hitting some corner threes. And uh, you can just see his confidence there. He's not a center. He's not a big per se. Like, he can't really guard uh, Embiid himself. I mean, that really does fall on Capella's shoulders. But he just also makes it a difficult matchup for them on the offensive end because he can spread the floor. And he's athletic enough, as we saw, to get inside there and uh, and, and make some buckets. So the Hawks have got some weapons here. And, and when those shots are falling from Bogdanovich and Kevin Huerta coming off the bench, uh, it makes the Sixers have to scramble a little bit on defense. So uh, this was, yeah, super well done job from Nate McMillan yet again. Didn't know that just, uh, I thought he came in really prepared and ready. I think he probably was expecting more of a, uh, a, a defensive focus on Trey Young that just didn't happen in that first half, which allowed Trey to get those shots off and build up that lead. So uh, it was a fun game to watch, though. And uh, the Knicks fans, uh, excuse me, the Sixers fans, I think, went with the Trey is balding, but I think they were a little bit hesitant. They were like, we saw him just torch the Knicks. <laughs> Like, yeah. let's not get on Trey's. Uh, yeah, let's not get into his head because he's been so good. So it wasn't the most. Um, you know, I thought it'd be a bit more raucous there from Philadelphia, known to be a crowd that uh, creates an intimidating environment. But they were a bit like, just careful, guys. Just don't make him go off. Uh, ended up killing him anyway. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Triple H set a real bad tone. You see him ding the actual bell. Mm-hmm. Bad ding. I don't even know if I'd call it a ding. Was he like fluttered the sledgehammer towards the bell? I think he was worried about destroying the bell. Uh, Yeah, he was worried about cracking it. Come on, this is the beginning of the second round. Hit that thing. If it breaks, cool. The Liberty Bell's supposed to have a crack in it. Come on, Triple H. He barely touched it. And then the Sixers came out and, yeah personified that bell ding right there. It was nothing. I was I was so weird. I mean, I was watching that live. I was so crazy to see Triple H <laughs> come out with Joel when and you beat. really think about what was happening, you're like, this totally. is amazing, this league. It's, it's, yeah. it's nuts. Like, this all happened because Embiid's doing, like, you know, the suck it chop while he's on the ground, sort of, and then Triple H is <laughs> tweeting about it. So then now he's suddenly there for a playoff game with the sledgehammer and, like, custom shirt. Like, it is crazy when you think about it. Yeah, I think yeah. it was a uh, trend Hassel's Carmelo on Twitter that says it's pretty amazing how much the 76ers franchise has embraced sucking it. Like this is game one of their second round playoff series. They've got the most fans in the stands they've had for the entire season and Joel Embiid is wearing a Degeneration X shirt. <laughs> That's pretty wild stuff. It's wild when you really stop and think about it. Uh, and, and it was wild, I would say. Uh, I know someone slipped it in there. No DeAndre Hunter and the Hawks mm. still get this win is huge. I don't know what his status is moving forward, he's an important player to them, uh, what he gives them on both sides of the basketball. So, like, I mean, they, they need him, I think, to, uh, you know, ultimately pull off this upset in this series. But I don't know what his status is. But, geez, to get that win without him, incredible, incredible work Nate, here. Nate McMillan, man. Nate McMillan pushing those buttons oh so perfectly. Solomon Hill, insert. And then he <laughs> plays well. And they, yeah. everybody, everybody playing so, so well. I will say, though, Lee, Kevin Huerta seemed to have some caca in his pantalones there in the last two minutes. That guy was frightened any time there was a double team. Eyes wide open, just chuck it to somebody else, hold the ball for five seconds. 
make a quicker decision there, Kevin. Yeah. He's yeah. either yeah. the tallest 6'2 guy in the league or the smallest 6'7 guy in the league. He's got deceptive <laughs> height about him. Like, he, 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 I think he's listed at 6'7. Uh, yeah, he just so. doesn't feel like a 6'7 guy out there. But yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. But prior to that, though, he's not afraid to take the shot. Like, he's confident in his shot. He comes out, he knows his role when he comes off the bench. And uh, defensively as well, he always waits back to try to box out and get that rebound. He's, he's got good defensive uh, presence and defensive awareness. And again, against that Knicks series, he was very good coming off the bench. And uh, I thought overall yesterday he was he was outstanding too. Yeah, if the Sixers had come back to win this game, which they almost did, this would have been a sweep, I would have thought. <laughs> like, it would have been like, oh, God, geez, how did you lose this? But they didn't. The Hawks, you know, still managed to hold on for the victory, so we should have a series here. Uh, we also had a wedgie in this one, guys. Mm. Wedgie number 57. Yeah, let's not forget about that. Uh, nice one here from uh, George Hill. Avoiding Collins there and just sticks it ever so gently on the, oh, on yeah. the layup. Yeah, just sort of the, the one coming from underneath there, Tass, mm, as yeah, he sticks very, it there. Yeah, Very unique. Very, very unique, and uh, we're up to 57. Everybody knows we are just, uh, every time we get another wedgie, it's a new record because we're just adding to this unbelievable Huge. total. Uh, the patient says there's 59, but it, look, no doubt 60 is in play, which is like, just try and wrap your head around that. My goodness. Uh, but another one there from uh, the Sixers, George Hill. Didn't get uh, didn't get Hubie Brown saying wedgie. He said wedge, I think, but... I think oh, I, th- I don't even think. Well, I thought I only heard no. uh, it got stuck from Mark Jones. Oh, did they? Yeah. Even say, I thought yeah. I thought I remember hearing ABC play, but, uh, game as well. That would have been huge, huge. I mean, Hubie Brown saying wedgie would have been yeah. The, awesome. the wedgie culture would have just been uh, great then if he got that. But yeah, instead, they just sort of played it off. Didn't say too much. But nah, anyway, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, let's get to Saturday night's game one between the uh, Nets and the Bucks here. Durant and Kyrie. They carried the Nets there in the opener. Uh, they get the victory. With Harden going out super, super early. What, 43 seconds in, mm-hmm. I think it was, Trey? Uh, but in the end, the Nets managed to pull this one out. Yeah, you want to hear a dumb take? Here comes one. Losing game one, trailing by 16 against the Nets without James Harden. The best thing that could have happened to the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, wow. I'll take it back, though. Maybe the se- second best thing. Winning game one would have been the best thing. But look at all the things that went wrong for Milwaukee in game one here. They shot six of 30 from three. That's the fewest three-pointers they've made in a game this season. Mm -hmm. Second worst percentage they shot all year. They're going to shoot better in game two. Number two, Blake Griffin went for 18 points, 14 rebounds. His best game of the season. He was dunking. He was talking trash. He was looking like the Nets version of Draymond Green. Let's see him do that. Another game. You're going to expect 29 points from Kevin Durant. You're going to expect 25 points from Kyrie Irving. That could happen again. You just yeah. got to hope that Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton give you more than 30 points combined. You can look at this game and say, yikes, the Bucks got smashed without James Harden. And yeah, that's a bit of a bummer, but this was a low-key, terrible, one of the worst games of the season for the Bucks. They've got the health advantage going forward. They just got to shoot the ball normally because Giannis ran wild in game one. So that's probably going to continue for the entirety of the series. There's no way they shoot 20% from three. Uh, the next time here in game two. So yeah, a bad game one for the Bucks. but the good thing is, is you can throw it completely out. You don't even need to watch that film. Let's just figure out how to win game two here. And uh, for the Bucks, we know that James Harden Tass will not be playing in game two tonight. They're going to keep him out with that, uh, what are they saying, hamstring tightness there in his, in his right leg. So no James Harden. Uh, do you agree with what Trey's saying there? Like this was actually a, you know, a quote unquote good loss for the Bucks because they just played like garbage and we're still sort of in it and they can't play worse. Yeah, no. I, I, I do agree with that. I think, uh, 
Yeah, the fact that what's also good for the Bucks is it's kind of a level playing field without James Harden out there. <laughs> and the fact that the Nets are kind of being a little conspicuous with this uh, diagnosis that's not really a diagnosis. Them saying hamstring tightness, like way before uh, game time starts, you know, the day before. Uh, that's uh, kind of leads me to believe it's going to be a little bit longer. Like mm. it's not a strain, it's not a game time decision, it's not we'll work him out before the game. So if he's off the floor, then yeah, somebody has got to kind of be that third wheel, like Blake Griffin was. And it's unlikely you're going to get a great Blake game like that again. Uh, Blake was turned into literally Dennis Rodman out there, like going horizontal on the floor. Man, he was diving out there, uh, making plays like a defensive center should. Uh, but I think I think even though Giannis had 34, uh, number one, he obviously has to play more. Mike Budenholzer might want to play Giannis in a playoff game uh, more. Maybe I don't know. Uh, it's like he's no. not even in foul no. trouble. Like, no. He's had three fouls. It's like okay, if he's at five fouls, you're like, all right, but save it. What is he doing? What is he doing? The third quarter, he starts and he plays six minutes, no matter what. Like you, you look around the league, Doncic playing that entire third quarter. Kawhi doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, not happening with with, with Giannis. I, I think he could have been even better. There's nobody who's going to stop him inside. Nobody. He was dancing around Blake Griffin when he wanted to. And, he, yeah, he had 34 in the end. But Blake cannot stick with him. He never really had the lateral foot speed as a defender. And it ain't happening now, especially having to play heavier minutes because – uh, Nick Claxton staying in that backup role. Uh, yeah, I think Giannis can dominate. And, and Brooke Lopez can also dominate uh, if he's got uh, Kevin Durant on him. I mean, he just has to stand under the hoop and get tippins. And he did a few times. Mm-hmm. He, he was showing the size. But they, they just have to do that more. And, uh, yeah, if, I guess if the threes fall a little bit more. Uh, but uh, the same, yeah, same. Schumann's pointing out uh, that Kyrie Irving rested only one minute in each half. But... What came through for the Brooklyn Nets is that they have supporting cast that people all the time just overlook. They just overlook this supporting cast of the Brooklyn Nets. Everybody just talks about uh, Durant and Kyrie Irving, and now these, these stories come in. Oh, there's a story in the New York Times this weekend asking, what are the Brooklyn Nets? Are they a basketball team even? Just because of the way they were put together. Did you see, oh yeah, number one, Blake. Obviously, a monstrous performance as a supporting cast member. And then Mike James coming off the bench and just hitting shot after shot after shot, giving the ball and giving a lot of responsibility. That just shows that this team has been put together and has been coached all season long for these guys to know their roles in game one after a superstar goes down and Bruce Brown comes in for that superstar and and him doing a a great job of never shooting in the mid-range three-pointers or ducks. Like, they... They pass the ball so beautifully for a team that you just think, ah, oh, it's a bunch of superstars. Blake Griffin was getting ball, uh, getting scores off of beautiful passes. Everybody passing the ball so, so well. Yeah, their big three didn't play a lot together, only eight games together, but their big twos, whether it's you know Durant and Irving or Irving and Harden or whoever, they played together, and the rest of the guys played together, and mm-hmm. Nash has coached up this team, and... Yeah, now we have an even series, I think. If James Harden is going to be out for a long time, uh, to me, that, that, that makes it interesting. 
What do you think, Lee? What do you add to this game one here from the victory from the Nets? Well, some good and bad. The, the good is I do think they took a lot of bad shots. Bryn Forbes, who had a great series against the Heat, came out and just threw up a couple of clunkers, which I just thought weren't in rhythm shots. So that goes back to their three-point shooting. Wasn't very good. I thought Giannis was good, but again, I agree. I think he should be even more dominant because they can't keep Gian- up. Giannis, it's a win for the Nets anytime Giannis has the ball at the top of like the three-point line and it's like slows down and yeah. is like looking at everything, that's a win every time for yeah. any opposition. Like he needs to be in the post all the time or on the move catching it. Yeah. And then you're then you're laughing because nobody's going to guard him. You're right. He and he's took- still in a monster game. But every possession where he – like we saw it time again against the Raptors, against the Heat, where he has the ball and he's like, all right, I'm going to crash in there. And everybody's just like waiting for it. It's like that's bad. Don't do that. Get that out of your uh, repertoire there. Otherwise, I loved what I saw from you. Well, right? yeah, he took five three-pointers, but only three free throws. Missed all of his three f- of his three free throws. That, to me, he's got to have double-digit free throws at least. Put the pressure right on that uh, Nets defense. And, okay, two for five. Not bad, but don't just you don't need those ones right now, uh, Giannis. Anyway, uh, but the concern really though, is, is on Budenholzer in the minutes. And after the game, you know, he said, look, they all want to play 48 minutes. Sure, but we've got a deep team. We've got to take advantage of it. Keep them ready. Keep them fresh but they want to be out there yeah everyone wants them out there you've got to put them out there don't fall into that trap of like i want to keep them fresh for a longer series win this game like we saw with Ty Lu. basically to win the series do whatever you have to do and that means just go with your starters and go with your star players heavy minutes you just have to do that and i just thought that was a bad mistake by uh mike budenholzer which hopefully he corrects but we've seen in the past this has cost his coach teams in the playoffs. So uh, I think, yeah, I think the Bucks come away from this one going, gee, that was a pretty bad one. Like it was against the Heat where they survived in that game one where they didn't play that bad, didn't play that well. But right. if they can tighten things up in this, uh, in game two here and go inside a lot more and maybe just hit, hit more than six of 33s, I think they're going to be in a better chance uh, to win this game because I, I, I didn't think that the uh, Nets really had to play all that well. I thought, I thought they played well enough to win the game, but I thought Middleton and Drew oh. Holiday as well Took some bad shots, you know, sort of shots that they weren't really forced into from great defense from the Nets. It was more just sort of like settling a little bit sloppy, a little bit lazy. So lots to clean up here for the Nets, uh, for the uh, Bucks. I think they're in a really good position, uh, but you're going to really have to see that in game two to be convinced that they can take this series. They have to go back to Milwaukee with a split, I think. Yeah, Chris Middleton, 6 of 23 in yeah. game one. I mean, he hit the glass, he got a couple assists, didn't do much else defensively there in terms of the box score, but... He has these 12, 13-point games in playoff series. I brought it up. He was my key to the series. Chris Middleton has to be way better offensively uh, and has to hit some of these threes. I mean, it was Joe Harris hitting basically the equivalent of the entire Bucks team when it came to three-point shooting, right? Joe Harris with uh, five, mm-hmm. and then the Bucks. what'd you say, TK with six, I guess, overall mm-hmm. with the six of 30. So, yeah, you're, they're going to shoot better, and this should be a good series, but especially without the Harden. <laughs> um, it does make it a little more fair, but still, Middleton. And, and Drew, you're right. Um, they have to be, like we said, the... They gotta be jockeying with these other stars on the Nets team. You know, you're not gonna maybe outclass a Katie and Kyrie, but you gotta be a hell of a lot closer than especially what Middleton gave you in game one. And they yeah, probably they got, be. those two got outscored by Blake Griffin and uh, <laughs> Mike James. And yeah. you know, if TNT is gonna be interviewing Blake Griffin and Mike James immediately after the game, guess what? The opponent lost because yeah. if you're the third and fourth options on your team are the ones that are getting the big podium games, then the uh, then your team probably looked all right. So yeah. Chalk it up. It's over. Bucks be better in game two. As the stream team is pointing out here, Joel Embiid played more minutes than Giannis Antetokounmpo did. That doesn't make any sense. Just play the guy 40 minutes and the Bucks will get a win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, does Bud want to get fired? Is um, he done coaching Milwaukee? Like, yeah, he'll, he'll get. Doesn't make any sense. Giannis will get his rest if they're up twenty in the fourth quarter. That's when you <laughs> yeah, need to worry about. Right, it, you know, like. Right. Um, but it, it was just crazy to see in the first game, especially again with James Harden out. It's like, okay, you've got the advantage now, really. Take advantage of that. But yeah. instead, three free throws for Giannis, simply not good enough. There's not enough pressure on that defense. Nick Claxton, I thought, was actually gave them some decent minutes. But again, he shouldn't be able to stop Giannis. And not that he was, but I mean, you know, if he's out there, Giannis, that paint is open. Go inside every single time. All right, we got a bunch of uh, coaching news to get to here. I know we're running a little long on a Monday, but first, our final break, I should say, from our here from our sponsors. All right, so happy hour is back. That's the big news in that yeah. read on Thursday night uh, with a little Jim Beam concoction from Lily. Oh. The happiest yeah. of hours. Can't wait. Yeah. All right. pretty, yeah, pretty big news that Jim is a James. I, didn't I know. know. <laughs> James yeah. Beam. Yeah. James yeah. Beam. Very formal. I might have to get the top hat out for this one if I will be <laughs> I think so. consuming and indulging in the sum of James Beam's finest bevon. <laughs> Let's not forget that it was during a happy hour when uh, a bunch of Jim Beam just arrived. Or is that during a beach stepping? No, I can't uh, remember. That I think it was beach stepping. It was beach stepping. Yeah. yeah. Oh, when suddenly on the a bunch beach. of bottles had arrived at uh, Lee's house <laughs> and he had to go get them because he saw a guy on his ring doorbell and he had to leave the show we were recording right then and now. Uh, anyway, do you still have the Jim Beam, Lee? I have some of it, yes. Yeah, some of it. Ooh, uh, <laughs> that's a sample, some of it. Yeah, I used to be a big Jim Beam head back in the day, so uh, it was like stepping back in time, yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking about it. Not 9 o'clock our time will be 11 a.m. Uh, East Coast Australia time. Uh, my mate Louie, big bourbon Jim Beam head. He'll probably join us for a sip or two. That is any excuse right. for him. So, uh, okay. <laughs> 11 a.m. on a Friday. Oh, middle of the day for work. But he won't mind. He'll slip on in. He'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> All right. Bourbon so, time uh, is anytime. Yeah. Happy hour this uh, Thursday night. Uh, we'll be back uh, hanging out here on the live stream, uh, just kicking it while we drink our Jim Beam. And uh, I assume there'll be a game or two on. So, uh, I'm sure we'll have our eye on those playoff games as well. All right. Let's uh, start wrapping this up, but we got to get to this coaching news quick here, uh, and we'll try and make it as quick as possible. After another first-round playoff exit in five seasons, the Blazers and coach Terry Stotts mutually agreed to part ways on Friday. Stotts leaves Portland as the second winningest coach in franchise history, including eight consecutive playoff appearances, which is the longest streak in the league. Uh, Lili, how shocked were you by this Terry Stotts news where he is moving on? Not at all. Uh, I think we all probably thought this was happening. Uh, He's been there, as you say, nine seasons. And the Blazers have the longest active playoff streak at eight seasons. Uh, Only one conference finals appearance to show for that. Um, But they were never really a a title contender in that time, I don't think. And and I think that shows uh, that the roster was never that great. They have one superstar, no question about They have an MVP caliber talent. They have an all-star caliber talent. But other than that, they've had a lot of sort of interchangeable role players who I think Terry Stotts has gotten a lot out of those guys, you know, and he's, he's a good, consistent coach, but they simply were never quite as good as those elite teams. They were sort of better than a lot of teams in the league, but never really uh, a challenge there. I mean, they, they also went against the Warriors who had that five-year run of just incredible dominance where, you know, the Warriors seemed to be the best team in the league for a while, but... I think Terry Stotts leaves. Uh, it was kind of like, listen, we've gone as far as we can together. Uh, there's some big changes in store there for Portland. There's whispers as already that maybe they even uh, consider something with Damian Lillard. But uh, I certainly think that either he or CJ is gone after this uh, season too. But I think Terry Stotts did a did a fine, you know, an okay job. But uh, considering the roster he had, he couldn't really get them uh, much closer to that. So I think he'll get another job somewhere. I think his record will say, listen, we we know what this guy can do. He can uh, he can. Get teams to play well enough 
But uh, it ultimately always comes down to your roster, and the Blazers never really had a talent uh, roster that was good enough to really uh, get them to the finals. Yeah, Stotts has been the only coach Lillard has ever played for in the NBA, which is uh, pretty mind-boggling when you think about it. It's been around for a long time, but he's out. And then Tass, it was weird. Lillard immediately following this news on Friday basically comes out and says, I want Jason Kidd to be the next coach. (laughs) Everyone's like, oh, okay. It's an Oakland point guard, Hall of Famer. I guess uh, that makes some sense, but wow. Uh, Going on record with that, are you, Lillard? And then it turns around where Jason Kidd says, actually, you know, I'm going to pull my name from consideration. This doesn't feel uh, right. Probably not the right way to go about hiring a coach. Uh, And that he is, again, he's removing his name from consideration. So there's a bunch of other names being floated around, but that's sort of weird. I would just say, like, not not the firing of Stotts or the mutually agreeing to part ways, but, like, the quick turnaround of Lillard saying Kidd and then him saying, I don't want this. And then now we go from, we figure out where they go from here. That was weird, right? (laughs) Yeah, uh, the the mic was in Lillard's face, and I guess he was he kind of said a couple names that he liked. He said Jason Kidd, then he added Chauncey Billups yeah. as well. Uh, and yeah, I think I, I don't think uh, Damian Lillard was getting on his stump and just screaming out, "This is the guy I want." But he was saying guys that he likes, and uh, yeah, Jay Kidd probably caught him off guard, I guess. Uh, and uh, yeah, that to me was the more surprising part that Jay Kidd didn't jump at a a job that. You know, with with one of the best point guards in the game, one of the best players in the game, leading the way. It seemed a little surprising to me, but J.K. not interested. Maybe Chauncey Billups is interested. A guy that they should definitely want is a defensive-minded coach. That's that's the key here. Terry Stotts uh, took a step back uh, defensively. Damian Lillard's going to buoy that offense. That offense going to be great. But, uh, you know, Terry Stotts, yeah, all of his years, he had a, a couple good Several good defensive years, but the way it dropped back to 29th, they're, they're not going to beat anybody. And so somebody who can really fire up that defense. And it's got to be some – there's got to be some personnel changes. I still think that the back line of Nurkic is probably going to be different next year. Uh, so who's that defensive guy? I don't know. Maybe ask Dame. He knows more guys than me than I do. But uh, somebody <laughs> – somebody's got to be able to, to fire up that bunch. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to stall here trying to think of somebody because uh, – oh, What about Jeff Van Gundy? Be... His name's always comes up for these mm, things. Classic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing that happens with – Yeah, no, I haven't seen Kenny Smith attached to this one, uh, surprisingly. But Mike D'Antoni's name, obviously, you're throwing around. Now, no, there's not a – Maybe not a defensive-minded guy by any means, but uh, you know his name's being attached to this. Chauncey Billups, like you said, I guess Jawan Howard there uh, now coaching at Michigan. Right. Um, there's a bunch of, of course, you know, assistant coaches like uh, like David Vanterpool is always a possibility, I think. But Trey, what do, what do you think? Uh, who could be coaching the Blazers? Who would you like to see coaching the Blazers? And what was your uh, takeaway from Stotts moving on? My take is that this is the first of many moves because I'm with y'all, Terry Stotts. Wasn't the solution, but also is not the problem, I don't think, for the Blazers. They've ran the same team out there for basically five seasons, and you're seeing the same team. They're great on offense, they're bad on defense. Is that on Terry Stotts, or is that on trying to build a defense around Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, and half a season of Yusuf Nurkic? A new voice, it's going to help, but honestly, how do you improve this team? They traded two picks for Robert Covington, a solid defender, but not a guy that made any sort of an impact on them defensively for the rankings for the entire season. Their other big signing last year, Derek Jones Jr., can't even play in the playoffs. At this point, C.J. McCollum's not bringing back a lot. Yusuf Nurkic, not bringing back a lot. They're towards the end of their careers. They probably, you missed the peak for when you could uh, 
could trade those guys. Listening to Zach Lowe's podcast, you get the feeling that Portland almost has to explore a Damian Lillard trade. That's, of course, completely complicated by the fact that he's the guy who in the league is the most like, I'm never leaving my team. I'm never having a super team. So I don't know what the Blazers are going to do here. They had to make a move. Uh, but to me, Terry Stotts is kind of like number three on the list of the moves they should make. Number one is the GM. They got to find somebody who brings in better players. Number two, they got to get better players. And then you can worry about the coach. In other coaching news, Steve Clifford not returning to coach the Magic. Um, they've mutually agreed to part ways. Nobody's getting fired, by the way. Everybody's just mutually <laughs> agreeing to uh, go their separate ways here. But uh, during his three seasons in Orlando, Clifford led the Magic to a 96-131 and record, but two playoff appearances. Uh, and so in the end, it sounds like the timelines of the Magic's rebuild, which they're really leaning into, and then Clifford's, you know, station within the league and with that team, they just no longer align. That was like Woj was saying, that that's the real reason they're uh, parting ways here. Maybe Terry Stotts immediately goes to Orlando if he wants a job there, Lee. It could be a possibility. But we now have the Blazers looking for a coach. We have the Celtics, of course, looking for a coach. And the Magic in the mix. Potentially still the Pacers. I don't know what's going on with Nate Bjorkren, if uh, if he's going (laughs) to hold on to his job. And uh, I don't think the Wizards have officially come out and said, no, Scotty Brooks is our guy. We're, we're still running with him. So there could be another one there. Could be looking at anywhere between three to five jobs uh, that could be available. But yeah, Clifford moving on. I guess this is not much of a shock to anyone probably here on this, uh, on this Zoom meeting here today because, yeah, they're just like, we, don't, we, we, need, we need almost like, a, almost like a Lloyd Pierce, I guess, or something like that. A, a young, probably, I'm guessing an assistant coach on some roster somewhere to come in here and get maybe his first crack at the rebuilding tasks of like the Orlando magic with some of their young talent over there. Yeah. And I think Steve Clifford would be a great, uh, now talking about it would be a great candidate for the Portland job. He, he made those Orlando magic teams work their butts off on the defensive end. And yeah, Terry Stotts in Orlando, maybe they could trade Stotts, trade spots, uh, Clifford and Terry <laughs> right there, done and done. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think I think Steve Clifford is a really really good coach. He's a really good X's and O's coach that yeah would probably benefit from better players rather than a, right. <laughs> a rebuild. But he would do a great job. Yeah, just kind of uh, you know working around the edges with great players rather than having to go of it again. Uh, you know, starting from the bottom up. I guess I guess he didn't want to do that. But I would think of Steve Clifford watching him on the sideline to never ever want to mutually part ways from anything. He just seems like such a hard worker. But, um, yeah, maybe the Magic are, uh, you know, I, I guess giving him his wish if he wants to, to move on, if, if there is a job out there for him, because he is a really, really good coach. And there are, you know, after, you know, men, you mentioning uh, David Vanderpool, there's a bunch of good coaches out there that should, you know, get a crack at uh, something like the Orlando Magic, like trying to build it from yeah. the bottom up. Yeah, I, I would hope so. I would hope it's like at least a refreshing new name in Orlando. And, and you're right. Clifford will be on another team somewhere. Maybe he'll take an assistant job. Maybe he takes a year off. Same for Stotts. Like, who knows? I'm sure these guys are burned out a little bit uh, at this point. They will be likely another coach in this. Uh, they'll be coaching another team in this league because everybody gets a second, third, fourth crack. But it is nice to always try to see a new guy given a chance. And I think Orlando would be a perfect spot for a, for a new coach to try, right? Absolutely. They're going to be looking at a Stevenson Silas-like kind of candidate, I would imagine, because they are going to be brutal for the next couple of seasons. As Josh Robbins at The Athletic reported, Steve Clifford was not prepared to sign an extension after the injury-riddled Magic abruptly shifted course in late March, veering from win-now mode to a Mm. full rebuild. 
Win now mode for the Orlando Magic right now is 42 wins. They are going to be way worse than that. They got to have some lottery luck uh, coming up here in the draft lottery. They need to hit a number one or a number two pick. They got to get a Chris Webber. They got to get a Shaq. They got to get a Dwight. If they end up getting a Victor Oladipo or an Aaron Gordon in this draft, it's just going to be more of the same for the Magic. Yeah, anything to add to this, Lily? Orlando and Clifford parting ways? They blew up the team, really, at the trade deadline and going with the coach. So it's a full rebuild, full restart there for them. Um, Yeah, but it comes down to talent. I think Steve Clifford, in two of his three seasons, made the players won two games in total. You know, but he just didn't really have a, a, a huge roster with a, with a lot of superstar talent. I think Vucevic was the only all-star, really. Markel Fultz, of course, this season was playing okay, but he got injured. So, you know, there's just not much talent there. They need, uh, they need as Trey's saying, they, they need to kind of get lucky and get a decent, you know, franchise-altering player in there to uh, spark things again because they haven't been very good since, basically, they traded Dwight. Um, and, uh, you know, that's not really good for the franchise. They need to be better. So... Clifford did a did the sort of a good job with what he had, but uh, ultimately, you know, he uh, it's time for him to move on and start afresh. I think. Wonder if Sam Cassell, who's been an assistant forever, will um, you know get a look in there because uh, he always seems to be on the sidelines. And I think, I think it's time for you know someone like him. You can only be an assistant for so long until you like. All right, yeah. take on the range yourself and see how you go. Adoka is another name mm-hmm. um, that maybe will get his first chance. So we'll see. And I'm sure we'll be talking about this later in the uh, coming weeks here as we uh, finally figure out who's going to be coaching some of these teams. And like I said, maybe there'll be another opening or two in Indiana or maybe Washington. Uh, who knows? Okay, let's wrap this up with a little tweet of the night. Mm, tweet of the night. Wow. Twitter. Yeah, very exciting news. We're going to uh, Friday night. Our own Twitter account for Tweet of the Night. I believe it was Trey Kirby manning this one because the Top Shot Hot Boys had an exclusive on Friday night, guys. The first wedgie moment ever coming to NBA Top Shot. That's right. You're seeing it here on the stream team. Anthony Simons sticks number 48 with that sick chase down block. Hashtag NBA Top Shot this. And this was, uh, again, we tweeted this on Friday night, dropping in packs next week. Well, we're already to next week. This moment will be available starting today in a pack there on Top Shot and then throughout the week in uh, their rebound packs there. So crazy news, guys. It is the year of the wedgie. I mean, a record-breaking year, and now there's a Top Shot moment, Tass. What do you think? Is this going to get you into Top Shot finally? Um, yeah, <laughs> for sure. This as moment. long as I get a low a serial number. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, otherwise I'd be peeved. How many of these are going to be released? Ooh, How many like, moms are we talking about? At least 40,000. Yeah. Yeah. So quite a so bit. 10,000 tr- for each of us. I yeah, mean, we're going to try and get them all. Four. Yeah. Yeah, that's our goal. Okay. Yeah. So, so we just got to sign up for an account <laughs> and uh, get in the queue <laughs> every right. time there's a drop. <laughs> it's, yes, and, basically. And, and then, yeah. And then, hey, put up our little paddle and say, hey, I want a mom. <laughs> I right. want the wedgie Four mom. Pad. But you never know. You get a pack, you get a pack. You just yeah, never it, know what's in the pack. Yeah, it may not be in there. Yeah, yeah, you're, but they're, throughout the week, the wedgies will be in those packs. Well, yeah, they're going to hit the market very soon here. You can go buy this moment once tonight, it hits the marketplace, probably, too. Yeah. yeah, later tonight. This is uh, going to be available today. People are going to start pulling this moment. They're going to be like, whoa, I got a wedgie moment. Some people are going to be like, I don't want that. And they're going to put it on the marketplace. But those people would be dumb. You should hold on to these. 
This mm-hmm. is a super hold here with these wedgie moments. Super hold, just like that ball getting stuck in the rim. It's stuck there deep. You're gonna want to hang on to this forever. This, I don't know that I would have picked this as the first wedgie moment, but it might be the perfect choice because it's the Blazers. They're tied with uh, a couple yep. other teams for the most wedgies this season. It's Anthony Simons, one of the, I think there's six guys who have two wedgies this season. He's one of them. Wow. Lamar Hurd was on the call. Obviously, Top Shot doesn't have the audio from it, but he gave us a huge shout out uh, to the No Dunks crew. He's like, there's got to be some extra special stuff with this one. He was right, man. Huh? They turned it into a moment. And my guess is that it's actually going to say wedgie on the description. So we shall see. Wow. Can't wait for that. Yeah, in the little write-up there. Uh, wedgie on <laughs> the description? What? We think so. Uh, yeah, very excited. Yeah, Lee, you got your wedgie shirt on. Nice to see. Yeah, I saw that tweet in the doc and I thought, do I go with my Top Shot Hot Boy shirt or do I go with the wedgie? Because it's uh, you can't wear them both. And I thought I'd go with this beautiful baby blue wedgie because it is a beauty. Look at that. Yeah, it's a nice shirt. Yeah, I love yeah. this one. You unfortunately can't buy that right now because uh, <laughs> it's a limited edition. Ooh. A lot of you did, though. Uh, we Ooh. sold a lot of those bad boys. That's Top a shirt, hot shirt. boys, maybe. That's what we That's made. That's yeah. right. Limited sure. edition. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so we'll I'm, see. Yeah, I'm not sure if we get royalties on this, as Seth B is saying in the stream team, but uh, <laughs> no. we don't, we don't, we don't own not. wedgies. No, of course not. Um so how much do you think this is going to go for in the marketplace? Cause, well, that's uh, that's the question, Tess. Yeah. Yeah, Any I mean, ideas? I mean, I'm not really a... <laughs> I don't know. No. It's but not tr- going to be a high-priced one. Uh, no. Anthony Simons is not a superstar in the league, yeah. but I mean, obviously people know we're going to be going for it. Uh, so maybe that helps a little bit, a little extra utility, yeah. as they say, but... I don't know. When you hear about Top Shot, you're like, wow, people are spending $200,000 on a LeBron James highlight? No, we're spending $200,000 <laughs> on 40,000 Anthony Simons blocks. <laughs> Super smart stuff. I was thinking about this, Trey. You know, low serials are important. Sometimes you want, of course, you want number one. If you can get that, that's incredible. A lot of people task, they love to uh, get the jersey number of the player. Like, that's a big one. Uh, you know, that one goes for uh, more money on the marketplace. I would think being the first ever wedgie moment, that whatever number we end up with this year, Mm. total wedgies, that that would be a serial number worth having. So if we end up with 59 wedgies, then that 59 serial number would be huge for this Simons moment. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, okay. 48 as well. The jersey number basically of the wedgie. (laughs) Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, 48 well, club. I'm, Join the 48 club now. Get uh, get you a moment that has a 48 in it, and we'll give you access to something exclusive. Uh, like Lee will give you a hug sometime. He'll be wearing that wedgie shirt as well. Sure, yeah, why not? So, so we good don't luck know. to all the top shot hot boys and girls. <laughs> we don't know when this is dropping because uh, it's dropping today. Th- today. Oh, today, today, two p.m. two p.m. Pacific, so th- so five p.m. Eastern is. Uh, oh, I got the, time. The first I got time. time to sign up for a. There you go, Tass. Yeah, there why not? Go. This will be my decorative chair. But unlike a decorative <laughs> chair, I'm going to spend some money on this and I'm going to sit on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not. Yeah. Right. Good luck to all the go top shot hot boys and girls out there. If you're uh, in the, uh, hopefully you get a pack and hopefully you get that Simon's moment. And you got to hold that, everybody. That one's going to be worth uh, many billions of dollars <laughs> in the future. All right, tonight's games we got game two, Bucks Nets. Again, Harden ruled out. And then we got game one of the Nuggets Suns. So that's very exciting. We won't go into them. We're not going to make predictions. Let's just wait and talk about them on tomorrow's show, 10 a.m. Eastern, live here on YouTube. Try and get it up as quick as possible in podcast form 
wherever you download and listen to the No Dunks podcast. I know we had some troubles there on Friday. Apple Podcasts did this whole new update. I think it's like uh, been causing a lot of uh, uh, podcasters out there some headaches in terms of like getting the show up and it going. It's It's been a little weird, but we're trying our best. JD was working all Friday afternoon. You had to do it like three or four times, did you not, JD, to try and get that damn thing up? I don't even know if it yeah. ever made it up there in the end to some people. but Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know either, and it was a nightmare, and hopefully it's all solved for today. But we'll see. We're going to but we're about to find out yes fingers crossed uh but thank you everybody for downloading the show and listening to the show and to all the stream teamers joining us live here back tomorrow at 10 a.m eastern clipper bros you heard it here first have a great time turn up love you guys awesome thanks for joining us and remember the coaching staff that would run out the best five playing coaches it's got to be the nets thinking about it steve nash point guard jock von shooting guard umeka ime udoka at small forward thinking of umeka okafor ime udoka at small forward amare power forward and tiago splitter at the center wow. spot oh yeah baller style jesus give him the championship brace the day people you could stay Hey baseball fans, this is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.